Well, good morning. Do you really believe he's alive? Is he living on the inside this morning? Isn't that exciting uh, that we can serve not a God who once was, but is and always will be. This morning, I invite you to take God's word and find Psalm 127. We're going to be looking at this passage of scripture and a few others as we uh, talk about our topic this morning, Psalm 127, a very familiar uh, passage to many of us in the body of Christ. And I want to focus in on verses 3 through 5 of this precious psalm. And we find these words in Psalm 127, starting with verse 3. Sons or children are a heritage from the Lord. Children, a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gate. And I want to focus in on that one little phrase, children are a heritage of the Lord. Now what I find many times when I go to places and I'll I'll make that statement, children are a heritage of the Lord, I get an amen. They'll say, oh yes, we believe that. And so one time I did this, I won't do this this morning, but I grabbed a microphone and I went out in the audience and I said, do you really believe your children are a heritage of the Lord? Oh, I do. Well, what's a heritage of the Lord? And they said, well, that's my children. And I said, well, then what are your children? And they said, well, that's a heritage of the Lord. In other words, I don't know what a heritage of the Lord is, but it's in the Bible, so I'm going to say amen. And this morning, I want us to understand how important that little phrase is, children are a heritage of the Lord. Because I think if we paraphrase it this way, it would really give it a lot more meaning. And that's the topic of our our sermon this morning. Children, God's homework assignment to parents. Wow, do we understand homework assignments? It, it, It was... Like it was yesterday, uh, I was a sophomore in college. At that time, I thought God was leading me into a uh, medical uh, field, and so I was a pre-med student. And my sophomore year, I signed up for college calculus. And, and it meant that I had to go and pass college calculus. I had to not just pass it, I needed an A in it. And when I got my schedule, I was sort of shocked because I found out that college calculus met every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 8 a.m. Now, I didn't think any college course should start before noon, but my college calculus class started at 8 a.m. So Monday morning, I, I am front row, ready to go. The professor gets out there and he lectures for an hour. I took a lot of notes. I paid careful attention. And at the end of the class, he gave us a sheet with 10 calculus problems on it. And he said this, this is your homework assignment. And that night, before I went to bed, I did all 10 problems. I got to class Wednesday morning. Uh, I had my homework in hand. The professor got up. He lectured for an hour. He gave us a sheet of 10 questions. And he said, class, this is your homework assignment. Going back to my dorm room, I, I thought to myself, I've got one of these absent-minded professors. He never collected the first uh, homework assignment, but I did it. And I went into class Friday morning, and there he stood up, and he lectured for an hour. And at the end, he gave us a piece of paper with 10 calculus problems and said, Class, this is your homework assignment. Friday night, I was sitting in my dorm room doing calculus. When the thought came to my mind, Glenn, your mama didn't raise a fool. 
uh, you know, this man lectures for the whole hour. He gives you a homework assignment, but he doesn't check it. He doesn't collect it. He doesn't grade it. He doesn't do anything with it. And I stopped doing my homework assignments. I knew how to do them, but I didn't do them. And, and this went on for about three or four weeks. Every class, he lectured for an hour and gave 10 problems and said, this is your homework assignment. Well, he announced our first test and of course, I, I was ready for it. I knew how to do everything. I had a lot of notes. I studied hard. I walked into college calculus that morning, and he handed out the test so that you understand the type of person I am. I'm a test flipper. When I get a test, I flip through and read the questions real quickly to see whether I should stay or not. And uh, uh, as I read them, I thought, I know every answer. Not only am I going to get an A, but I'm going to get a perfect paper. And so when he said, start the exam, I I started flying through that exam and I was ripping through it. I was going to get my first A in college calculus. And right in the middle, Dr. Kaufman interrupted and he said, now class, when you turn in your test, make sure you turn in all of your homework assignments. They will be 50% of your grade. As beads of sweat dripped off my brow, I knew that I failed my first calculus class. But I learned a very important lesson. I learned that when I'm given an assignment to do, it is my responsibility to do that assignment as long as I have it. Because someday I will hear that phrase, it's time to turn in your homework. And then it will be graded. And I think that that is exactly what the psalmist is trying to get across to us here especially to parents, parents in specific, but in general to the body of Christ, because we're here as the body of Christ to train up the next generation biblically. We're here to support the parents. If if you're like me and my children are grown and my grandchildren are growing, I'm still there to help them. But this is specifically to parents. Uh, It's amazing that uh, as of the 25th of this month, our oldest son will be uh, uh, 45 years old. And uh, 45 years ago, that means that God gave Glenn and Sharon Schultz their first homework assignment. Then a few years later came our daughter, our second homework assignment. Four years later, our son, our last homework assignment. And to this day, God has never shown up at our house on a Monday and said, hey, how are you doing on your homework? Let me see what you're doing. He hasn't shown up uh, on on Saturday night and say, now, are are you ready to do your next part of the assignment? No, but I do know someday he's going to call each of my homework assignments in for a grade. And so this morning, I want to look at this thing called children, our homework assignment, and try to break down this assignment. And the first thing I want to do is I want to talk about the assignment described. How do you describe this thing of raising children? And you will find it here in verse 4 of our passage. It says, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. I am convinced that every child that's born into a family, all the potential is in that child to become a mighty arrow for Jesus Christ. But it's up to us as parents to mold that child and make them into that type of arrow. 
When you think of an arrow, and I've talked with hunters and archers, and they say that an arrow has to have three qualities. The first quality, if it's going to be effective, is it's got to be absolutely straight. There cannot be any bend in the arrow. It must be perfectly, precisely straight. And, and you know, that's what it takes in this uh, parenting situation where we're trying to raise our children. First thing we've got to do is make sure our children are straight. And the only thing that can straighten out a little sin-crooked life is salvation in Jesus Christ. And so we've got to do all of our efforts to make sure that our children know Christ early on in age. That's got to be full effort because they've got to be straight to be able to fly through this wicked culture that they're going to live in. The second quality I found out about an arrow is not only does it have to be absolutely straight, it has to be intricately balanced. It it, it cannot waver in flight. Uh, I used to think of the the feathers on an arrow when I was little as just decoration. But no, they're there and they have to be trimmed. Why? So that the arrow will go straight to the target. And the way that we go and raise a child to become uh, balanced in life is we've got to weave this book into every fabric of their being. This has to be the foundation of their life. And it's critical that we do this. But the third thing is the most important one. You can have a straight arrow, you can have a balanced arrow, and you can fly it to the target and it'll just hit and go thump and fall to the ground if you don't make it razor sharp. You've got to put a point on it. And our children need to be razor sharp because they have to go out into a world of postmodern philosophy and all these things that declare that there is no such thing as truth. And they've got to be able to cut through that. And the only way that A straight, balanced arrow can cut through that kind of junk is that they've got to learn how to live their lives under the total control of God's Holy Spirit. We are supposed to be raising children that in the end, they are strong, mighty arrows that we can turn over to Jesus Christ for him to use in spiritual warfare. However, I'm very burdened and concerned because as I travel around this country and I'm, I'm with teenagers all over the place, I find that we're not giving God those type of arrows. What we're doing is we're literally giving God arrows much like the ones I got under the Christmas tree when I was five years old. It was just a little eighth inch wooden dowel, sort of wavy, not really straight. It had some plastic feathers pasted on the end, different colors for decoration. And, and, and my parents told me, don't shoot it in the house, but they knew I would. And, and so it didn't have a razor-sharp point. It had a little rubber suction cup. Can you picture that? And I think it must break God's heart when a child is raised and we say, okay, Lord, here he is. Use him for spiritual warfare. Here she is. Use her to bring honor and glory to you. And God says, I gave you so much potential. Well, why, why didn't you build them into strong, mighty arrows? So, so the assignment, as we find it described in Scripture, is that we are supposed to build our children into mighty arrows that are straight, balanced, and razor sharp. But then I want to talk to you about the assignment's priority. How important is this assignment to God? If you would, turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Again, a very, very familiar passage of Scripture. Deuteronomy isn't a book that a lot of Christians spend a lot of time in. 
And uh, maybe if we get a choice between Leviticus or First Chronicles and Deuteronomy, we'll pick Deuteronomy, but not otherwise. But Deuteronomy is very important. The children of Israel had been wandering in the wilderness uh, for 40 years. Very meaningless life. Uh, to let you know how monotonous this life was. Ladies, think about this. One dress for 40 years. Wow. You know, hey, how, how am I going to match it with everything? It's easy. You had one pair of shoes for 40 years. They didn't wear out. Can you imagine, hubby, that you come down for breakfast in the morning and you say to your wife, what's for breakfast this morning? Manna. Well, what's for lunch today? Manna. Well, what about supper tonight? Manna. 40 years of manna. Didn't your mama teach you anything else to cook? You know, it was monotonous, but they're getting ready to go into their promised land, into the inheritance they have in God. And Deuteronomy are the God's instructions how to take that inheritance. Wow. And it's the same instructions we need to follow today if we're going to take our inheritance that we have in Jesus Christ. Yes, we have life, but we're supposed to have abundant life. How do we get that? Follow these same instructions. And in Deuteronomy 6, you find some of God's first instructions to parents. Listen to what he says in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. What God is saying here is, you've got to have two primary focus in your life. There's got to be two main things Top priority in my scheme of things that you've got to focus on. And the first one is you've got to focus on the true God. You've got to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Unfortunately, there have been a lot of days that I have not loved God that way. There, there have been days that I've loved my wife more than I love God. Or, or my children And now my grandchildren more than I love God. There are even times when I love my work for the Lord more than I love the Lord. But God says, focus on me first. Love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your might. Jesus added your mind. But then he said, the second focus must be on the next generation. Must be on your children Teach your children diligently. Focus on me. I'm the true God. Love me with all your heart. Teach the children diligently. Wow. You know, sometimes in our modern world, we become so educated. We, we try to impress people with big words and big terms. And I don't know if you've ever been around someone like that, that by the time he finished speaking, you said, what was he saying? Because he just tried to impress you. It, it's sort of like Sherlock Holmes. He, he took his assistant Watson out on a camping trip once. And, and they went out into the middle of woods and they found a clearing. And there they set up their campsite. They built a fire. They cooked their meal on it. They ate well. And then they went to sleep. And in the middle of the night, Sherlock wakes up. And, and he pokes Watson and he says, Watson... I want you to look up in the sky and I want you to tell me what you see. And and Watson looks up on one of these beautiful dark nights with stars all over the place. And he says, well, I see, you know, hundreds of planets and millions of stars. And Sherlock says to him, what's that mean to you, Watson? And 
Now, Watson wants to impress his boss. So Watson thinks, and he says, well, astronomically, it tells me that there's millions, probably billions of stars out there. He says, the stars indicate astrologically, I can see Leo, and I can see the Big Dipper, and I can see the constellations. He thought a little bit deeper on how he can impress his boss, and he says, well, you know, theologically, the stars tell me that man is insignificant when compared to God. He thought a little bit deeper and he said, well, horologically, Sherlock, the stars indicate it's about 3 a.m. in the morning. He thought a little deeper and he said, well, meteorologically, the stars tell us we're going to have great weather tomorrow. Now, now Watson thinks he's really impressed his boss. So he says sort of smugly to, to Sherlock, well, Sherlock, what's it mean to you? And as a, after a moment of silence, Sherlock simply says, Watson, you idiot, someone has stolen our tent. You know, in the effort to impress, Watson missed the simple truth. The tent's gone. And I don't want you to walk out of here thinking that, that we've got such a deep, deep theology that's so hard to follow. The simple, you know, truths of the Christian life is this. I get to love God while I'm here with all my heart, soul, and strength. And when I die, I will be in eternity with that great God. But guess what I leave behind? I leave behind the next generation. And what does God want out of the next generation? Same thing he wanted out of me. He wanted the next generation to love him with all of their hearts, with all of their souls, with all of their strengths and minds. And God knows something that sometimes we forget. It's not going to happen just because they come to Sunday school once in a while. It's not going to happen just because they're in a Christian family. It only happens when there's diligence of teaching. You've got to be diligent. See, the priority of this homework assignment in God's scheme of things is raising our children to be godly in Christ is to be second only to our love for him right out of this passage. Then let's look at the assignments process. How do we do it? I I refer to it as kingdom education. Uh, You know, it's very important to follow instructions. Uh, Sometimes us men, now I realize no men are are like this in here, you you buy the gift for your kid, you know, uh, for Christmas, and it says, partial assembly required and then you open it up and there's these sheets of pictures and instructions on how to do it and you just sort of set those aside and then you try to put it together and you get it all together and you say I wonder what these parts are and uh, you know we, we we have a tendency not to follow instructions and Being in a a culture that's not word-centered anymore, I tried to find out, how can I get this point across? It's important to follow instructions, and there's a cartoon I want us to put up on the screen, and I want you to look at that. This tells you the importance of following instructions. Now, just keep your eyes on this. Two little characters go out sunbathing. They were both given the same set of instructions. Put the sunscreen on. One says, I don't need to follow instructions. Burnt to a crisp. Now, being a teacher, I've got to give an, a, a, an assignment to you folks. This is the only assignment you're going to have in the whole message. The next time you see a piece of bacon, 
Do not think of this picture. So what are you going to do? You're going to think of this picture. But here's what I want you to do. When you think of this picture, think of this reality. If we do not follow God's instructions on how to raise and instruct and educate our children, the false philosophies of this world will burn our children to a crisp. And if you'll just listen to a little bit of experience that I've had in traveling around, I find most Christian teenagers already have severe sunburns. We've got to follow God's instructions. In the book, Kingdom Education... It's really more on parenting than it is on education. And what I have found in Scripture is that God, the ones I've uncovered, I have found ten biblical principles in God's Word that tell us how we're supposed to educate, raise, instruct, grow our children. I don't care what term you use. Those ten principles are critical because they're God's instructions on how to do this assignment. The first principle is very simple. The education of children and youth is the primary responsibility of parents. God gave Glenn and Sharon Schultz three homework assignments. And God is going to hold Glenn and Sharon Schultz accountable for completing that assignment. He didn't give those assignments to the church to complete, to education, to schooling to complete. He didn't give those assignments to the government to complete. He didn't even give it to the village to do. He gave it to a set of parents who are going to one day stand before him and give account on whether we followed his instructions. The second principle is that the education of children and youth is a -a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week process that goes all the way from birth to maturity. What, What I was really excited about as a parent when I realized that there are only four times every day that I'm required to teach my children the things about God. These four times. If I do it these four times, I don't have to do it any other times. I, I mean, when I've shared this with others, they, they, they've taken out lipstick, mascara, something to write it down. Four times. Okay, what are those four times? When they get up in the morning, whenever they're in the house, whenever they're outside the house, and when they lie back at night. That's it. You say, well, that's all day. Well, no, they get to sleep. But see, that's what Deuteronomy 6 says. When they rise up, when they sit in the house, whenever they're in the house, whenever they walk in the way, whenever they're outside the house, when they lie back down. It's a a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week process. That's my responsibility as a parent. The third principle I found in Scripture and in the book, it's got all the biblical references that you can study on that and everything, but it says that the education of children and youth has as its primary goals the salvation and discipleship of the next generation. Those are the two primary goals. The fourth principle says that the education of children and youth must be founded on God's word as being absolute truth. The fifth principle is simply the education of children and youth must hold Jesus Christ preeminent in the entire process. God the Father said, because of what my son did on the cross for mankind, he is to be preeminent in everything. He is supposed to be the center of everything. Not not just what we do at home, not what we do at church, but what we do in our recreation time, what we do in schooling. God is supposed to have his son preeminent in everything. The sixth principle says the education of children and youth must not harm 
the spiritual and moral development of the next generation. It's interesting that when Jesus walked this earth, some parents once said, boy, I'd like my children to be blessed by Jesus. And they brought their children to Jesus and Jesus rebuked them or his disciples rebuked them and said, listen, the master's busy here. How dare you bring your children? Get them out of here. Take them home. And what did Jesus do? Jesus rebuked his disciples. He said, don't you ever push them away from me. You've got to understand. He says, listen to who I am. Think of who Jesus said he was when he walked this earth. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. I I am the way, the truth, and the life. I I am living water. I I am the bread of life. I I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am it. How dare you push them away from me? Now, just to, you know, break a little myth, Jesus wasn't looking for a photo op when he would sit on a rock, put little children around him, they'd take a picture and put them in Sunday school classrooms. That's not what he was saying. He was saying, you, you let them come to me, I am life. In fact, to make the point, he put a little one down in the middle of him, he says, whoever offends one of these little ones deserves a millstone around his neck and be thrown in the middle of the sea. And I used to think those millstones were meant for the child neglectors and abusers and molesters But it wasn't in that context. It was in the context of those who would offend them by pushing them away from Jesus. What are we allowing into our children's hearts and minds through the internet, through television, through education, through even what's taking place at church? Is it pushing them away from Jesus or pulling them close? If we're allowing things into their life that is pushing away from them, we're the ones who deserve the millstone and be thrown into the sea. The seventh biblical principle that's in there, it says, if and when parents delegate this to others, they must delegate it to people who follow these same principles. You cannot just delegate the raising of your children to other people. They've got to be people. I feel they ought to meet the qualifications at least of what Moses, when he was educating the nation of Israel, uh, he only chose people who were capable, who feared God, who loved truth, and who hated covetousness. There's three standards by which to start by. The eighth principle says that in the end, the education that we give our children, guess what? It will cause them to develop a belief system, a worldview that will be patterned just like their teachers. Luke 6.40 says, as when a child is fully trained, he's going to be just like his teachers. He'll have the same beliefs and values of his teachers. The next principle says that the education we give our children must lead to true wisdom and, not, and wisdom and understanding, not just knowledge, but wisdom and understanding. And you do that by connecting all knowledge that we teach them through a biblical worldview framework. And the last principle, the 10th one I have found in Scripture, says the education we give our kids must have a view of the future that includes the eternal Our education that we give our kids, and I I talk education in the whole scope of things, home, church, school, everything. It's not just schooling. It's the whole aspect of training our kids. It's not about just this life. It's about eternity. I've got the little booklet out there, 2020 Vision, and in that booklet I ask parents this question, where do you want your children in 10,000 years? 
Because wherever they are in 10,000 years, that's where they'll be in for all of eternity. And then what are we going to do to get them there? So the assignment has a process. It has directions from God. The last thing this morning, I want to just talk very briefly about the assignment's grade. With all assignments, there is a grade. Now, in God's grading system, it's pass or fail. That's it. And when I think about a failing uh, passage, a failing grade, I have to go back to 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 11. God had given Saul, the king of Israel, a specific assignment to do. He had given Saul all kinds of instructions how to do this assignment. And here's what Saul did. He followed God's instructions to a point. Then he followed man's instructions. He did it the way the world does it. Oh, he he accomplished some of what God wanted to accomplish, but he didn't follow all of God's assignment, all of his instructions. And listen to what God says to Samuel about Saul. He says, I am grieved. One translation says, I repent that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions, my commands, my directions. He says, I am sorry I even made him a king because he didn't do all my commands. That's a failing grade. But there's a passing grade, and it's in 3 John verse 4. And it says something like this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children just got those scholarships to college. No, that's the way we live. That's not what it said. Well, let's see. There, this must be it. There, there is no greater joy than, than to hear that my kids, you know, just got that promotion at work and were able to buy that new house with an in-law suite that can take care of me in old age. That must be the greatest joy. No, it doesn't say this. Here's what John wrote. There is no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. I want you to know this is very personal to me. There is my greatest joy. Three kids walking in truth. And as they walk in truth, they make wise marriage. And guess what? My joy just grows. My joy grows. And now I've got not only three kids, but I've got three in-laws, son-in-laws and daughter-in-laws that are added to this. If you go to the next slide and, and you'll, you'll see my, my joy grows. You know, people ask me a lot of times when I travel, what's the key behind your church's success and the movies and everything else? And it really comes from a quote of our pastor that is a driving force in everything we do, whether it's the church itself or its ministries like the academy, our sports park, legacy park, the movies, things like this. And and it's not just a quote that he says, we believe it so much, we put a big banner up, up in our church atrium, and when you walk in, you can't miss it. And it says, whoever wants the next generation the most will get them. And unfortunately, the world has gotten most of our kids by all studies that are out there. Anywhere from 70 to 80 percent of church kids leave the faith within two years after high school graduation. 
And I can remember when our, my pastor, I was talking with him. I said, why do I have to come and be on this team? He says, because we want the next generation more than the world. What would happen if God were to call one of your homework assignments in for a grade today? I wonder what questions God would ask my son, my daughter, as, as they stand before a holy God. Do you think he would ask them, well, what degrees did you earn? What, what scholarships did you get? What, what sports did you play? What, what type of home did you live in? What type of community you know, were you living in? He's not going to ask him those questions. He's going to ask just one question. Do you know my son as your Lord and Savior? And I'm so thankful my three children are going to say yes. And then I think he may ask them about the arrows. He says, you know, well... Since you knew my son as your Lord and Savior, while you remained on earth as a Christian, was my son able to use you in spiritual warfare? Did you engage the culture from a biblical worldview perspective and truth? Those are the questions God's going to ask my homework assignments when they stand before him. But I often wonder, will God also turn to me and turn to my wife, Sharon, and say, Glenn and Sharon, this, this child that's standing before me, do you realize this was your homework assignment to do? Yes, Lord, we, we understood that. Well, well, Glenn and Sharon, did you follow my instructions on how to do it? We made a lot of mistakes as parents, but we really tried to follow those ten biblical principles, Lord. Because I can remember sitting down and talking to my wife. I said, we've got to follow God's instructions no matter whether it makes sense or not. Because I'd never want to hear God look at me and say, Glenn, I regret ever making you a parent. Because you turned away and didn't follow my instructions all the way. We've got a responsibility to the next generation. And it doesn't matter our age. We've got to go full tilt because the world is after them. And I just want to challenge you today as a parent, as a grandparent, as a great-grandparent, or just a member of this church who has a focus on raising kids to be biblical. Do you understand the assignment God has given us? Because, see, I want you to have this as your greatest joy, to hear that your children walk in truth. We got together on May 4th when I sort of stepped down from the academy to to go into full-time consulting after 46 years in education. And this was the first time we all got together in eight years. Uh, They're all walking in the Lord. They've all accepted Christ as their Savior. There is no greater joy than to hear that your children, your grandchildren walk in truth. Would you bow your heads for a minute as we close the service? I I don't know what you're accustomed to here, but I just want, if God has spoken to someone about, we've got to get more serious about these homework assignments, that we would maybe just make this altar here uh, a time where you can come. Maybe if there's a family here, you can come forward. You don't have to wait for prayer, for music, for anything. All you got to do is get up out of your seat, come here and just kneel and just say, Lord, 
I accept these assignments. Maybe you're a grandparent and you want to, you've got a burden for your grandchildren and your children. Hey, let's take some time and let's come and just do business with the Lord. If you don't know Christ as your personal savior, guess what? You can't even start doing the homework assignment right. What a great day this would be to come and take the hand of someone and just say, I need to know Christ as Savior. So would you stand for prayer? Everyone stand. Father, I want to thank you for the precious children you gave Sharon and me. Lord, even though we failed many times, you you honored the fact that we tried to follow your instructions. Lord, I I pray for families, for parents all around who have arrows in the making, maybe sitting next to them, maybe in a Sunday school class right now, or maybe they're grown. I, I pray that we realize how important it is to make them mighty arrows. Lord, I pray that as your Holy Spirit speaks to us, that we would be obedient. Lord, that people who need to come and just kneel before you in a public way and say, I want to do this assignment right. Or even if we're way into the assignment and our kids are grown, we still have influence. We still, they haven't been called home to stand before you, so we still have time to do it. That people would step out and they'd come and just pray. If there's a family together, they'd come as a family. Lord, you do your work in hearts and whatever you prick our hearts to do may we do may you be honored in all of this for i ask it in christ's name amen